Welcome to Full Court Press, and I'm Liam Griffin. Jay, your boy Russell Westbrook got ejected the other night. Any thoughts? Liam, it's against the Warriors. No biggie. Hey, the Warriors are going to be scary again next year. Don't get ahead of yourself. Alright, boys and girls, back with me today is a man who used to tower over me that I now tower over. How do you like them apples? Mr. Jay West. On today's episode, players open up about the sign stealing. Team LeBron narrowly wins the All-Star game, and Joel Embiid makes another stupid comment. We begin today with the injury sustained by Kyrie Irving. It was announced Thursday that Irving will undergo season-ending shoulder surgery. And what's interesting here, Jay, is that the Nets are 500 without Kyrie, yet below 500 with them. So Jay, how big of an impact, positive or negative, will the loss of Kyrie have on the Nets? Well, let me start off with what this has to say about Kyrie himself. Well, when he got the Celtics, Liam, the two negatives about Kyrie were, of course, that he was a bad teammate, and second, of course, was that he was toxic in the locker room. I think the fact that the team is 500 without him just proves him proves the fact that he's just not a good teammate. He's very talented, of course, but it's just the team doesn't play well with them on the court. But honestly, I think Kyrie out for the season will affect the Nets' long-term potential positively. I say that because, well, now with no Kyrie, players like Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, they're going to get more play time and more time with the ball. So they're going to be able to improve their game. So when Kevin Durant comes back... There, and Kyrie comes back, they'll be ready to compete for an NBA championship. Alright, so when you were talking about Dinwiddie and LeVert becoming better and then when and then Irving and Durant coming back, you're contradicting yourself right there because in the 2018 playoffs, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown were magical. And then when Gordon Hayward, I don't blame him at all, and Kyrie came back, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum took huge regressions. And now that Kyrie is gone... All three of those players, Hayward, Brown, and Tatum, have elevated their games. So, in terms of, I see what you're trying to say, but we saw in Cleveland, Kyrie Irving struggled to be the focal point of the team. But, when LeBron James came along, it ended up in three consecutive finals berths for him and an NBA championship. So, I am at the firm belief that Kyrie Irving is at his best when he is second to another all-star, whether it be LeBron, KD, heck, even, I don't know, Luka Doncic down the road, albeit that's unlikely. So I believe that in terms of this season, it affects the Nets' already slim chances positively, but in the long run, it could definitely end up helping the Brooklyn Nets out. Will it? That remains to be seen. I personally think that the East is for Boston and Milwaukee, to compete in for years to come, but I may be wrong. That's a great point you made there, Liam, with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Well, if they play better without him than with question, if they play better without him than with, questions will certainly arise. Saturday's dunk contest most definitely went down to the wire. Does it require two tiebreaker dunks, each from Derek Jones Jr. and Aaron Gordon? 
Jones ended up on top. However, many have said that Gordon should have won after his dunk over Taco Fall. In the second tiebreaker round, Liam, are you among those that believe Gordon got hosed? Uh, to quote Stephen A. Smith, ain't no way in H-E double hockey stick that Aaron Gordon should not have won that dunk contest. He said that to Steve Harvey when talking about the Browns, but getting back to the point, I personally don't believe that Derek Jones Jr.'s dunk in the second tiebreaker round, which was, I believe, the dunk from where he took off like a full foot or two in front of the free throw line, was that impressive. I don't believe that. And don't get me wrong, this was a dunk contest for the Asians, but it is without question that Aaron Gordon got hosed again. Gordon should have three dunk contest trophies in his trophy case, but he only has one when he deserves three. And this one makes me even matter because he's dunking over Taco Fall, who Zion Williamson could not dunk over in the March Madness tournament last year. You could make a case, oh, Taco was playing defense. I don't care. That's Zion Williamson you're talking about, who a couple years down the line will probably have five dunk contest trophies. That being said, it is ridiculous that Aaron Gordon did not win. I am very angry at my man Chadwick Boseman, Black Panther. I love that movie. I hate his judging. Do you think that Dwayne Wade gave that last dunk a nine to get his his own Miami Heat player, Derek Jones Jr., the trophy? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that it is plausible that that happened. I agree, but... I don't agree that Corn got hosed. Oh, because he clipped him narrowly? My my criteria for a 50-point dunk to get five tens, you have to execute the dunk perfectly. That dunk was not executed perfectly. He clipped his head just a little bit. Yeah, Derek... Yeah, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, so you're telling me that a dunk that Derek Jones Jr. missed earlier on his first attempt but converted later on should also get a 50? Now that I don't agree with. I don't think Derrick Jones Jr.'s. I don't even think his free his dunk where he stepped a foot in front of the free throw line and went between the legs should have been a fifty. And hey, can, and can we agree that the judges were very lax about giving out fifties up until the final round? Yes, because they were because they were giving out fifties just like that. Yeah, for sure. But I think I think in the future the dunk contest should be taken. Not just on the final dunk, but it should be a, a summation of all the dunks done between the final two players. I think that will be much more fair. Because Aaron Gordon would have won that contest if it was done based off that. Yeah. Well, either way, that dunk contest was quite a show. Now to the actual All-Star game itself, where Team LeBron edged out Team Giannis 157-155 to as Anthony Davis hit a free throw to win the game. Now get this, the game was actually competitive for once, if you can believe that. As Kyle Lowry drew multiple charges, and LeBron and Giannis really went out in crunch time. Jay, after seeing it once, do you like the new All-Star format? Yep, I love it. I think the NBA solved the All-Star game problem. I think it's the first time ever I saw a competitive All-Star match that was actually fun to watch. I think resetting the school, no, the most important uh, new rule was that in the fourth quarter they made a final score that the team had to get to. I think that makes each team have to stay within at least five points of each other 
going into the fourth quarter because if you take yourself too uh, big of a lead, then you're, there's no coming back in the fourth quarter. So I think it keeps the game competitive even in the first three quarters. So I really enjoyed watching the whole thing, and it was even uh, – I got to see some cool dunks and stuff. So I was, I'm really excited to see more All-Star games. Yeah, so am I. The only thing I didn't like about it was the ending. You can't walk it off. You can't walk it off. You can't walk it off on a free throw. You just can't. For once, I actually agree with Joel Embiid. And the game was very competitive. I don't. I didn't get a chance to watch that much of it. I was out and about that night. But that being said, it's actually competitive. You know what I am really curious about? Because I was actually looking about at the interview with Jeff Van Gundy earlier today, and he was very critical of the All Star game. So I am curious to know what he has to say about it. Yeah, me too. Funny, I never imagined an all-star game being competitive. Since the last episode, MLB spring training has gotten underway, and the science-stealing probe has been at the center of it. Stars like Cody Bellinger and Mike Trout have not been shy about expressing their displeasure at the Astros. And former and current Astros Mike Fires and Josh Reddick have both acknowledged receiving death threats as a result of this scandal. Liam, what is your overall take on these events? Alright, so two things before I get into my answer. First of all, I'd like to acknowledge that we, I firmly believe we don't, haven't addressed these enough, so we're going to do that for a while here. And then secondly, we don't have a fifth headline, so I set aside another headline time so we could talk about this longer, because this needs to be talked about, for, in, for multiple different perspectives. So the first thing is the death threats, that's the first thing I want to address. It's just a game. And I, I come from a group of sports fans that are as passionate as any about their teams, but at the end of the day, we realize it's just a game. I mean, there's a reason that you don't see us getting into fights, and that may sound kind of skirmish, but we honestly don't... We all, we know deep down that there are much more important things than sports at the end of the day. Death threats should not be involved in this whatsoever. Now, to sports itself, or to the game itself... I would like to give a round of applause to Correa for speaking out like that. It's not easy to do that. And I want to take some shots at Mike Trout because his his team did nothing in 2017. You don't really have the right... I mean, you do, but while your team was doing nothing, the Astros were beating you guys in Anaheim, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, what the Astros did was inexcusable, but... My, at the end of the day, the Angels did close to nothing. Now, Cody Bellinger, he's got a point. I was without a doubt. That was a one-run game in Game Five in which they scored twelve runs, or yeah, twelve runs in nine innings. That is not easy to do, and I can understand why Bellinger would feel cheated out of a World Series title. Now, for Aaron Judge and the Yankees saying that they got cheated, Aaron Judge can shut up. And I, Mom's probably going to get mad at me for saying that on the air, but it is what it is. In the 2017 ALCS, the scores of the games were, at Minute Maid Park, were, where the Astros were cheating, were 2-1, to 2-1, to 6-1, and 4-0. to How many runs did the Yankees score in those four games? Three. Three. I do not care! If the other team is cheating their way to offense. Albeit it is inexcusable. If you can only score three runs in four games. With that powerful of an offense. You deserve to lose. I mean. 
I find it unbelievable that Aaron Judge is blaming the Astros sign-stealing scandal as the sole purpose for their defeat. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm going to say it again. What the Astros did is inexcusable. I mean, inexcusable because they beat the Red Sox in the playoffs that year, too. And while we still await the results of their probe, um, I just... I find it unfathomable that Aaron Judge is looking at what they did and not what he did. I have to agree with you there, Liam. But I'm going to take a little different approach. I'm going to look at the commissioner. And I think you got to put some blame on the commissioner for how much, how much heat the Astros have been receiving. And are going to receive. Yeah, and are going to receive during the season when they get pelted by pitchers. That's going to suck. <laughs> but I think it all came down with the punishment, and I think he should have he should have should have seen seen this from a mile away that the punishment was not going to be enough for teams like the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Red Sox fan bases, diehard fan bases who probably felt. Like they got cheated out of something. Yankees, I don't believe they got cheated out of anything. But the Dodgers fans, I can definitely see how they felt hurt by the Astros cheating. So I think he should have either made the punishment a little bit harder. Because what I thought was going to happen, I thought he was just going to take away the Astros World Series and that was going to be it and let it make sure that the sign stealing would never happen again. And that would have been the end of it. If that would have happened, I think all sides would have been fine or happy with it. But he just put a little slap on the wrist, I felt like, with the taking away draft picks and $5 million fine and yearly suspensions for the coaches, which I don't really, the coach and GM, which I don't really understand. Oh, one other thing, you were, I think you were going to bring it up, but the players, they deserve something. Whether it be fines, suspensions, I don't care. They deserve something. That's also why the the Astros are getting a lot of heat. The players getting off scot-free is just it's just a little bit too light on them because they were the main people cheating more than the manager and the GM. So I think it all comes down to the punishment and why there's so much death threats going on right now to the Astros players. So I think the commissioner really needs to step up to the plate here and realize I don't know if he can change the punishment now, but he needs to acknowledge that he went a little bit light, and but he will make sure that no more sign stealing or cheating happens in the MLB. Uh, I think it's safe to say that neither of us thought this would become this big of a deal. Okay, time to play In Your Shoes, where we will be placing the figure of shoes of an important figure in a revolving topic. We'll start with this, Jay. If you're Baylor... <laughs> Does losing to Kansas at home concern your prospects of getting a number one seed? For any team, in, for Baylor, no. And I'll tell you why. It's because they're in the Big 12. Big 12 has a ton of really talented teams this year. I would say either, I think they got four or five teams in the top 25 or something like that. And I think if they continue to win and win the Big 12 tournament, they should get no problem getting a number one seed in the tournament. But I'm under the belief that it doesn't matter what seeds you're you're under in the during the tournament because anything can happen really. And as long as you're playing your best basketball, I think you can beat any team 
any college basketball team can beat. Any college basketball team, even a 16 seed, can beat a one. Yeah, we've seen it before. Proven. So, so I think, I don't know if, I think Baylor still has a chance to get a number one seed, but I don't think it's the most important thing for them. So I personally think Baylor is overrated because did they make any noise last year and have they made any noise in the past? We've, uh, we've uh, seen the Wichita States of the past come out of nowhere on these crazy runs and then fall out and flame out once the tournament gets underway, which unfortunately is what I expect to happen to San Diego State this year. More on that later. But if I'm Baylor, I don't believe they can beat the Seton Halls and the Louisvilles to give a few examples. So that being said, it's concerning because when you're you want the easy matchups as long as you can get them. So if I'm Baylor, that's this that's a little that makes me a little eh. Yeah, Baylor definitely has its weaknesses. Their defense is strong, but or their perimeter defense is strong. I watched some of the game today, and it was their Kansas center Azubike who just dominated. Oh, Azubike was on fire. So I think Baylor definitely has some offensive weaknesses and some defensive weaknesses. So I don't really expect them to make that great of a run of the tournament. But San Diego State, I see them. I think they can make a little bit of a run. Hey. And I'll talk about that later. Next up, if you're a casual NBA fan, which which we are, are you mocking Joel Embiid for proclaiming himself to be the best player in the world? Joel Embiid is an idiot, and he just proved it the other night. I'm sorry, weren't you guys down by? Didn't you guys get outscored 44 to six on a certain run at one point against the Brooklyn Nets? I'm sorry, isn't your team nine and nineteen on the road, about to be nine and twenty, and? Weren't you not named an all-star captain? Sorry, how are you the best player in the world then? Joel Embiid isn't even top five. LeBron, Giannis, Kawhi, KD, even Paul George. I'll throw him in there, even though there are more. I'd all take over Embiid. Whiny baby, full of himself, can't get it done with his teammates. Not even close to the best player in the world. It's ridiculous. Yep, absolutely agree with you there, Leo. Joel Embiid has just showed time and time again he's just a cocky guy who can't really live up to his own proclamations on the court. He's not as good as he says he is, and he can't stay as healthy as he really wants to. He's not the best player in the world, not even close. In fact, I would even say not even top ten. So if you add the five, I have AD, that's six, Harden, Harden. seven, Luka... Trey Young. Trey Young? And then, I want to say Tatum, but I'm not going to. I'm sure the center's better than him. AD's definitely better. Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic. I'd take him over and beat any day. Yep, I'll take Jokic over and beat any, any day also. Not even top 10. Next, if you're Yankees manager Aaron Boone, how concerned are you about another potential Luis Severino injury? Was it, Liam? Something like that. I'd be very concerned. But it does soften the blow that you just got your $300 million pitcher, Garrett Cole, signed. So that does soften the blow a little bit. But you really were looking at a three-headed monster with the Yankees with Paxton, Cole, Severino. Take Paxton out of there. He's not that good. You don't think Paxton's that good? You don't think he's an ace? No. All right. He's a, he's a good number two starter, but he's not a... Ace. All right, all right. I agree. I agree. Not an ace, 
But still, once you punch a Severino and Cole, it would be almost impossible to stop. Well, hopefully he'll be he- healthy by the postseason, but during the season, that'll be just be tough on road teams and on the road to, to face. So I think it'd be huge if he was out for an extended period of time. Also, for long-term potential, we both know that if Luis Severino's fastball say dropped two or three miles per hour, he would not be nearly as nasty as he is right now. So more, all these injuries piling up, it could definitely ruin his long-term potential and his velocity, velocity over time. So I think it's alarming that he's getting injured so often. All right, so I'm going to look at this from an organizational and an individual standpoint. As an individual, it's concerning for all the reasons you mentioned, but organizational, I don't believe it's that concerning for the Yankees because last year they didn't have him for 95% of the year, and they were fine, and they just added arguably the best pitcher in baseball in Garrett Cole. So from an organizational standpoint, it's not a huge deal, but from an individual standpoint, it's troubling. It's troubling because Luis Severino, we've seen it. We've seen the potential he's got throwing 100 mile an hour fastballs. And and by the way, he has been a postseason struggler. And I think the Yankees would do fine without him in the postseason. But the kid's got a ton of potential. And you'd hate to see him go down for injury. So if it is a long term issue, it can be very disconcerting. Yeah, I agree. Last one. If you're a member of the NBA MVP voting committee, do you give any consideration to Trey Young? So we asked this because Young dropped 50 the other night, Thursday night. And yeah. I'm sorry, what is the Atlanta Hawks record? Let's look it up right now. It's bad. They are... 16-41. How about that, ladies and gentlemen? That's like nominating Julio Jones for Offensive Player of the Year award last year with the Falcons. Falcons did nothing. Nothing. Trey Young and the Hawks are doing nothing. They've got something going over the next few years, but after this year, nada. Yeah, I can't do much arguing there. There's really no... Even his, even his numbers, if the Hawks were 500, I don't even think his numbers would be enough to get on the MVP, even though he's averaging, what, 29 and 29 or 30. Something yeah. in that range. Uh, he's just, the team, he's going to be there one day, but it's just not yet. Year two, though, he's doing really well for himself. Yeah. Kids got potential, as does that team, but they have not tapped into it yet. Okay, time for the history lesson, boys and girls, where we honor great achievements of the past in the coming week. Forty years ago today, February 22nd, the famous Miracle on Ice took place as Team USA men's hockey beat the heavily favored Soviets 4-3 in the semifinal game. After the winning goal from Michael Ruzioni, the Americans followed it up by beating Finland 4-2 in the finals. 33 years ago, Monday, February 24th, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar scored his 30,000 point. Kareem currently is the all-time leader with 38,387 points, but is currently being chased down by LeBron. And will be chased down by LeBron. 31 years ago, Wednesday, February 26th, after 29 years, Tom Landry, one of the greatest coaches in NFL history, saw his career with the Dallas Cowboys came to an end. 
Landry led the Cowboys to their first two Super Bowl wins under Roger Staubach, who threw the original Hail Mary pass. 80 years ago, Friday, February 28th, a basketball game was televised for the first time. It was a college game between the University of Pittsburgh and Fordham University. And Pittsburgh came out on top, 15-37. Okay, the show's almost over, so it's time for who you got. We'll start with this. San Diego State attempts to continue their undefeated run against UNLV tonight at 6.30. Will they? No. I'm a big fan of San Diego State, and for one reason, one reason only. They can shoot the three-point ball. Over the past five games, they've been shooting like 43% from three-point range. That's almost impossible to defend if you're shooting at that high of a clip, no matter how good your perimeter defense is. That's why I think they'll make a nice little run in the tournament because they can bury threes from distance, too. But you don't think they're going to win tonight? Yeah, no, I think they're going to win tonight. Oh, okay, okay. So do I. So do I. I think, like you said, their shooting is killer. Their perimeter game is killer. But is it going to be enough to beat the Dukes? That remains to be seen. They'll win tonight, but I cannot wait to see them play in March. Next, at 9 p.m. tonight, second-ranked Gonzaga play pays a visit to 23rd-ranked BYU in a huge West Coast Conference showdown. Liam, who you got winning this one? So, this is a huge game for multiple reasons. One, it's the top two teams in the West Coast Conference going at it. And two, the number one team in the country lost today. So, this game will determine whether or not Gonzaga or Kansas ends up as number one. But you know what? I've got BYU. I think that they are going to defend home court. We see every year Gonzaga come out, go on a crazy regular season run, but unfortunately hasn't led to a title yet. Will it this year? I don't know. But I think BYU is going to. I really think BYU is going to defend home court tonight. I gotta agree with you there, Liam. You know who's the number one three point shooting team in the nation? That's the BYU Cougars. They can. They're a better three point shooter than the San Diego State. University, Aztecs. whatever the Aztecs. Aztecs. So, <clears throat> I think tonight is their night. They go off shooting 50% from three-point range and beat Gonzaga by at least 10 points. Wow. Oh, well, um, oh, what was I going to say? I had a comment, but I forgot it. I'm sorry. Last one. At 7.30 tonight on ABC, Joel Embiid and the Sixers Visit Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Bucks in a battle of Eastern Conference heavyweights. Jay, who you got picking up a win in this one? I got the Bucks. Can't wait to see Giannis bully Joel Embiid like he did last time. I think Giannis is just too much to stop, even for the best player in the world, Joel Embiid. <laughs> so uh, this game's going to be this game's going to be over. In the paint, and they got some great three point shooters, Chris Middleton, and. Some other guys. What, what do you think, Liam? This game's going to be over by halftime. And <laughs> the Bucks will be ahead by at least 20. Philadelphia cannot do jack on the road. It's going to be an easy win for the Milwaukee Bucks tonight. Uh, hopefully Jeff Van Gundy doesn't get too bored calling the game. <laughs> yeah, let's pray. My man. Well, well, folks, that's all we have today. I'm Jay West. I'm Liam Griffin. I'd like to thank Jay for being my guest today. And thank you for tuning in. Be sure to give this podcast a follow on Instagram at Folklore Press Podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest, please DM the podcast or contact me directly. 
Thanks again for tuning in, and we will see you next week.